We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father, we are so very blessed as a nation, as a people, as a church, and Father, as your children. We come today to see you move in the hearts of all of us. To remind us of what you did there on Calvary's hill. We come today, Lord, to worship and to keep the Sabbath holy. As we honor you and lift you up and exalt you before all men. I know, Lord, there are many here today that are in need of your comfort in your grace. And I pray they find their hope. I pray they find their comfort. And I pray you give them your grace that is only offered through Jesus Christ. I pray for our church and its leadership. And Lord, help us not to be blind of the spiritual warfare that has taken place within our doors. And Father, also outside of the doors, to try to prevent us from being unified, to try to prevent us from knowing the truth of your scriptures. Lord, help us to be, to have eyes to see. Lord, help me and fill me with your Holy Spirit this morning as we look at your word. And I pray it would be honoring and glorifying. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing this week through our study on the book of 1 Peter. We have looked and dealt with many issues throughout this book. And listen, some of them is a little bit harder than others. But all of these issues, all of these descriptions and details and, and responses that Peter gives us is all in part of helping us grow closer into our walk with Jesus Christ. Last week, if you remember, we started in on Peter's response to the Christians' suffering and service. We looked last week on Peter's directions on how we can be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. We saw that we need to be zealous for that which is good. We need to be bold when we are persecuted for Jesus Christ and for our faith. And then thirdly, we saw we need to be ready to share to share the hope of Jesus Christ, to be ready to give an account for the hope that is within us. And fourthly, we saw the need to, to, to have, to, to be conscious of good, to have a good conscience. And this week, we're looking at Peter's description of the effective sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Peter again and again is speaking to a crowd of people that are living through great times of persecution under the leadership of Nero. Christians are being killed for their faith in Christ. And really it isn't something abnormal in our day. It's pretty normal. It may be abnormal to us, but we as Christians in America look at Christianity different than most of all Christians throughout our world. We as Americans think that everyone around us should be able to worship and serve freely and, and to worship Jesus Christ in however we wish. But when we look at the big picture, we are the abnormal people. 
In a world of a population of 6 billion, 600 million people, the U.S. is only a population of 302 million people. That makes up only 4.5% of the world population. Most of the world has to deal with persecution at some point in their walk with Jesus Christ. And so, this is not just to the people of the time in which Peter preached this message to those. It is a time in which we can learn as well. It's a timeless truth that will encourage you and me and all of us and challenge us to grow closer and stronger in our walk as Christians so that we can make a great impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ while we tarry here on earth. Now I can't think of a better way as a pastor to encourage you, people that are going through sufferings, trials, coming out of sufferings, or either going into sufferings, than to see the greatest example that we've ever seen in our life throughout the last many, many years is through the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ and what He went through for the sake of of us. The message that is contained within this one text is one I would like to slow down and peer into and look and take some time as it's one of the greatest passages of all Scripture of which I preach the Gospel today. It's a message that if you have never heard, I pray that God will penetrate your heart and that you will walk out of these doors a new creation in Christ, a new creature in Christ. And if you as a believer are here this morning, I pray that this will bring you to a place of remembrance. A place of conviction as we look at the sufferings of Jesus Christ and the purpose for it. Listen, my job as a pastor is to comfort the inflicted. But it's also to inflict the comforted. So if you're here this morning you're comfortable... This message ought to make you squirm a little bit because Jesus paid the price on Calvary. And as a pastor, I squirmed and I cried and I thought of what Jesus Christ did that I might have life and have that life abundant. If you will, this morning, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. We'll be looking at verse 18. One verse, and there are three things that I want you to get from this text this morning. Three main points is number one, we need to see that Christ suffered for our sins. Christ suffered for our substitution. And lastly, Christ suffered for our security. Here I hope that you will see the encouragement through what Jesus Christ has done. Not only for me, but for you, and not only you, but for every man and the whole and woman and child across the world. So that you can walk in confidence in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your suffering, knowing that you have not gone through this alone. Let us look at point number one. Christ suffered for our sins. He reads in the first part of this verse, For Christ also died for sins once for all. Listen, I could preach this message for six hours, but yet we have a short time this morning, and so if there's stuff left out, forgive me, I pray that God will fill the gaps. You know, suffering comes in many different fashions. Many different types of suffering can come about in our lives. But one thing that connects all suffering together is that it penetrates us in one aspect of our lives 
or the other. Listen, a person is made up of three things. A body, a spirit, and a soul. 1 Thessalonians gives us that when it says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So each person is made up of three things. The spirit, the soul, and the body. And we as humans can suffer in one or two, or all three of those areas. And this morning, I want you to know that Jesus Christ suffered in all three of those areas. We may suffer in the Spirit. I don't think many people in America suffer within the body. They don't get pierced through for our iniquities. They don't get hung on a cross. Typically, they don't get beat for their faith. They may be talked about behind their back. They may be held back from a job. They may be persecuted with the tongue, but typically not with the body. But Jesus, our Savior, suffered all three. We all know well the sufferings that Jesus took within the body for all of us, for the sake of us and for the will of the Father to be glorified. We see His suffering in the Spirit in the garden. We see His suffering in the soul as He hung there on the cross. And He says, Father, Father, why hast Thou forsaken Me? As God turns His very back on Jesus Christ the Son. Without Jesus Christ, we would all be bankrupt before God. Unable to pay a debt that Jesus Christ was able to pay there on Calvary. And so we see Jesus dying or suffering for our sins. Now, if you're using the New American Standard as I am this morning, you will see that it says that Jesus died. Well, if you're using the King James Version of the ESV, it says that uh, it's translated suffered. And so which one is it? Is it suffered or died? Well, the Greek word here describes a type of suffering that ends in death. And so really they're both okay translations because really the New American Standard is looking to the end result. And while the King James and the, and the ESV look at the position of what's happening right now as the suffering of Christ is the point that it's trying to make. But without death, I want you to understand the payment for sin is unpaid. Because someone had to pay the penalty for our sins. Why does Peter bring up the sufferings of Christ as we read through this passage? Why does he talk about, For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. In the light of persecuted church, in light of suffering, how is this beneficial to you and I as we live in our daily lives? Well, I think Peter is trying to encourage those people that they did not do this alone. That they were not the only ones to suffer for the sake of Jesus. These are hurting people. They have suffered for their faith and Peter again is trying to encourage them. Part of their walk through Jesus Christ. Listen, this rings through true all throughout 1 Peter. As we've been studying for the last 16 weeks through this book, if you simply just look back to verse 17, it says, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. 
That's the context in which he begins with. The context which he ends with, the next three passages, is in chapter 4, verse 1, as we are told to arm ourselves also in this purpose. What purpose? The purpose of suffering. It is the footstep of Jesus that we are called to follow in to suffer for the sake of our faith in Christ. Look, these trials that you are going through in life are all there to grow you in your faith. You can walk away, which seems to be the easiest way to get rid of some of these things. Or remember that Peter has already said there in chapter 1 verse 13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What are we to put our hope in? The consummation, the coming of Jesus Christ. When He rings back in those clouds, no more suffering, no more pain. That's what we're to focus on. Listen, if you are in Jesus Christ, you can be no more righteous before God than righteousness that Christ has made you righteous before God. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When God sees you as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, he sees you as holy and righteous. He has to. Now that doesn't negate the idea that we need to live holy and godly lives because the Word tells us that if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we will obey His commandments. His death was once for all. Listen, there is no work that a man need do in order to achieve some standard of righteousness before God if you are in Christ. Christ has already done that on Calvary when He says to Telestai it is finished. Yes, we need to grow as Christians. The Bible is clear in that. But our sin was bought and paid for full at Calvary. Listen, Pilate beat Jesus. He had his people beat Jesus, whip him, spit in his face, punch him with their fist. Mock him. Dress him up as a fake king. Wrapped him in a pretty little robe and mocked, hurls at him. Hail the king of the Jews. And those that there took the crown of thorns and they fashioned it into a form of a crown. And these thorns, these long thorns, they pushed it in the head of Jesus as it sank into his skin. Jesus suffered within the body. We need not forget about the cross. Yeah, we can say Jesus died for sins, but when we really pierce into that, we gaze into what that looked like in the pain and the suffering that Jesus Christ bore for the sake of mankind, and He did it quietly. He didn't lash back out evil with evil. We sometimes forget the sufferings that came on the cross at Calvary. And in our freedom we have in America, we become laxed in our Christianity. We've become not zealous. We've become not bold. But when we are put before a picture of the price that was paid so that we might have life and have that life abundant, that we might have victory over sin, 
It should make us want to stand bold and to be zealous for the Savior Jesus Christ. He died that you might have life, that I might have life. Don't come this morning thinking you have a perfect life, that you're good before God. Listen, Jesus became sin on our behalf that we might become righteous. If there's any righteousness in me or in you within our lives, it's because of the Jesus that bore our sin on that cross at Calvary. And this morning, listen, if you're here and you're feeling defeated, beat up by the sin in your life, let it beat you up no more. Call on Jesus Christ because He's given you power through the Holy Spirit to those who believe in the name of Jesus. Listen, the work that Christ died on the cross for is what will carry you to the King. Not your work here. Not how good you are. The work that Jesus did. Now I know there's a fine line in putting too much grace and not an emphasis on living holy lives, but God calls us to be holy as I am holy. So we need to strive for holiness. We need to strive for perfection. Though when we're down in our sin, we need not be held down by Satan, but we need to remember, if we are truly in Christ and we've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in us, we are righteous before God in heaven. You see, we need to understand that we were separated from God because of our sin. But God sent Jesus Christ to suffer and die on our behalf that we all might have life in a victorious Christian life. Not some defeated Christian life. Not some life that is mundane Christian life. No one that we can make an impact for Jesus Christ. They hung Jesus on the cross because it was God's predetermined plan and His love for mankind. And it was so strong that God made the first move to reestablish His relationship with us, with Himself. And so God sent Christ to suffer within the body. He suffered in the body by being beat, hanged on that cross, beaten to the point of being unable to recognize who He was, and being pierced through for the transgressions of our sins. But He also suffered in His spirit. You remember that night there in the Garden of Gethsemane as He got on His knees and He prayed before the Father, and He sweat blood. And he asked the Father, take this cup from me, not my will be done, but yours, Lord. Because Jesus, listen, he knew the wrath of God in which he was going to endure for our sake. God is a righteous judge. And not one sinner, not one sin that has been committed will go unpunished. And Jesus took on our wrath. He took on our wrath so that we might be righteous before God. He not only suffered in His spirit and in His body, but in His soul as He hung there on Calvary. As God said, I cannot look at you anymore because now my wrath will be poured out on you and sin you will hold for the world. And God turned His back. And there the Savior hung all alone. Anguished in his soul. Suffering in his soul. He became our sin. You see, 
It's better to suffer for what's right than to not suffer for what's wrong. Jesus Christ was our only option. And it was the right thing for Him to do that sinners might have life. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His footsteps. I ask you this morning, how are you and I suffering for Jesus Christ? How is it that we are suffering? This is, this is the directions and the footsteps in which we are to follow. Let us be uncomfortable. Let us step out of our comfort zone and allow to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Whether through verbal persecution, physical persecution, or whatever it may be, let us evaluate how we are suffering for the sake of Christ. If you are suffering this morning, the Bible says you are blessed. Listen, if you've had to leave your family, lose your job, put away your enjoyment, come out of retirement, all for the sake of Christ, the Bible says you are blessed. If you are beaten for the sake of Christ with the tongue or with the whip, you are blessed. Because you were called to follow in these footsteps. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a time of suffering. It's happening all around us in the world and all around us within our own community. But suffering, listen, sufferings, we are called to consider them joy when you encounter various trials is what James says. Why? Because listen, they are not eternal, they're temporary. Christ suffered and died as an example for us. And you never know when our little 4.5% 4, 4 of this world population will become normal. When we will start enduring persecution like the rest of this world does. When you travel out of this world, the United States, and you travel into the majority of the world, you see... Christians, bold in their faith for Jesus Christ. Suffering. We are blessed. But let us not be so blessed that we forget and think we're more special. We're abnormal. Just yesterday or a day or two now, uh, I read an article about Chick-fil-A. Anybody ever heard of Chick-fil-A? It's kind of a southern thing. Um, but Chick-fil-A is a very large chain of like chicken sandwiches. And let me tell you, if you've never had one, it'll make your tongue slap your brains out. That's a southern term too. And so this company that we and my family used to eat on a weekly basis and now we're suffering for the sake of the Lord because we can't eat there because there's not one here. Well, maybe that's not really suffering in that fashion. But listen... This chain of restaurants, they're in every mall, on every corner of the street, but every Sunday their doors are closed. 
And let me tell you, God is blessed. I don't know how much money they lose. It's got to be unbelievable the amount of money that they lose. But they're faithful to the Sabbath. They're faithful to the Lord. And they're taking a stance to give the homosexual agenda. Now, they're not against homosexuals. They're against the abomination in which God calls it homosexual marriages. And they hold to a biblical view of the family, husband and wife. And they are being persecuted and boycotted because they are standing up for the faith. And let me tell you, they are being persecuted, maybe not physically, but they're losing money. They're being tainted with the tongue. But they made a bold stance for what the Bible teaches about the biblical mandate of man and woman in marriage. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You see, when we stand up, we make impacts. And if I was in South Carolina right now, I'd eat there every day of the week to make sure that I feel the spots of those boycotting and I, and I was talking to my wife yesterday and I said, has it ever occurred to you that unbelievers will boycott something that they feel is not right, but yet Christians won't boycott things that are evil? My father-in-law has to make a business decision. Will he continue to buy his advertisement through Google? as they've now stood up and said, we, our goal is to make homosexuality okay. Will he continue to put his money into an organization that takes a stand against the biblical mandate of marriage? He'll lose his business unless he finds advertisement elsewhere. He called me this week and he asked me, what do you think? And I said, brother, our God is bigger than Google. You want advertisement? You let God advertise for you. Whether it makes sense in our humanity or not, you do what's right and suffer. You see, Peter rings this through his whole book because there will come a time when it's going to get harder and harder and harder for us as Christians to live without suffering. Listen, Christ died for our sins. And if you've broken one of the commandments, if you've lied, if you've stole, if you've looked at a woman with lust, men, or women looked at a man with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you've been against your brother, you've murdered him, God says. We are all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So please don't come here this morning thinking you're right with God unless you've been crucified with Christ. He is the example. And we should be encouraged. And listen, when the tears run down my face, when the pain comes to my kids and my wife as they miss their family back in South Carolina, we must remember that Christ says, follow in my footsteps. As we see His suffering for us, so we will also suffer for Him. I know many of you this morning are living lives that have made decisions that have caused you pain. But my encouragement to you this morning is you stand firm in the faith and believe that Jesus Christ is there with you. And He's enduring just like He endured on the cross with you. We need to remember that Christ suffered for our sins. But secondly, we need to remember that Jesus Christ suffered for our substitution. 
He says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. You could say the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, some of my friends will say that Christ only died for the elect. Not all people. Only those whom predetermined, preplanned, predestined to be saved. But listen, this passage puts that out of order. Because it's telling us that Christ suffered and died for the unjust. Just whom is the just and just whom is the unjust? Jesus Christ is the just. He's the only one righteous, the pure Lamb of God. And it says that He died for the unjust. Whom is the unjust? You and me and every man across this nation because the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. And let me give you a perfect example of substitution from the Scriptures. A dear friend of mine, Dr. Carl Brogy, preached a message several years ago that rang through my mind as I read this passage. And I remember that sermon and the illustration he used, and that's where I get it from this morning, but we get it both from the book of Matthew, where we look in chapter 27. We find a man by the name Barabbas. Barabbas was a criminal. And the penalty for Barabbas' crime was... Death by crucifixion. Here this man is expecting to be crucified for his crime. But during a time when the crowds gathered, during Passover, it was a custom for them to release one criminal from prison to the Romans' hands. And here the Jewish people were gathered and they were given a choice, if you remember, by Pilate whether to have Barabbas or Jesus Christ released from Roman custody. And as we read here in Matthew chapter 27, verses 21 to 23, it says, But the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they all screamed, Barabbas! Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Jesus whom you call the Christ? They said, crucify Him! And He said, why? What evil has He done? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify Him! Crucify Him! Listen, this criminal Barabbas is only a short ways away. As Pilate is speaking to these people, I know he can hear the words of the people as they scream. The crowds get louder and louder. And all he can hear is Barabbas! He probably couldn't hear Pilate ask the question, what shall we do with Jesus, whom you call the Christ? But he could hear the crowd again when it said, Crucify Him! And then again even louder, Crucify Him! And Barabbas, knowing that his death was crucifixion, must have been terrified as he stood in that cell. And all he can hear coming through those walls was Barabbas. Crucify him. Crucify him. Now put yourself into the life of this man, Barabbas. Imagine standing in this cell waiting on your 
crucifixion. And all you hear is the crowd saying, Barabbas, crucify Him, crucify Him. And then imagine a Roman soldier coming in and you're fighting because you know you don't want to be crucified. And yet, the guard says, stop your whining, son. You've been set free. Jesus. They picked Jesus. What a picture. The substitution of us in Christ. The just for the unjust. One that was not guilty of anything in exchange for a criminal. Listen, you and I, all of us are criminals before a holy and just God this morning. And yet He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Do you know that He took your place, Stuart? You fill in the blank. It was my crime against a holy and just God that sent Jesus Christ to the cross. And that's when I listen to that song. The words pierce through my heart because I realize I'm the one of the causes for Jesus paying my price on Calvary's hill. But not only mine, I'm not that special. The sins of all of the world. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Christ suffered for our sins. Christ suffered for our substitution. And thirdly, Christ suffered for our security. He says, for Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. So that He might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Keep going forward on your slides, brother. Keep going. There you go, right there. Listen, this morning I want you to understand that without Jesus Christ, you will not get to the Father. Jesus said it. John 14, 6, I'm the way. The truth and the life. I'm not a way. I'm not the best way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is our security. He's our deliverer. He's our substitution. And He is the only way that we can have relationship with God and reach heaven's doors and live lives of suffering and considerate joy. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no name under heaven by which men have been given to men by which they must be saved. Listen, you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can't obtain it, you can't gain it. And it's out of Jesus Christ in which we've become our security. Listen, you can't walk into the White House and meet Mr. Barack Obama without someone to take you to him. And you can't walk 
to heaven's door without Jesus Christ, the deliverer, to take you to him. Peter wants to encourage those who are suffering for the sake of Christ. For them to serve in spite of their circumstances. The question is, have you ever placed your trust in the Deliverer, Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust in the Gospel? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because the Gospel is the power to save This morning, it's not your baptism, which we'll see next week. It's not your tradition. It's a personal relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords that only comes through your personal belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, don't you believe the lies of these religions and these cults that will teach you differently? This morning, I prayed that we not be blind to what's happening within our doors, but not to be blind to what's happening without our doors. Because the devil's working here at this church. As I was paid a visit by the Jehovah's Witnesses yesterday in my office. Since when have they started coming to our church? Now listen, she didn't come so excited as she left. Because I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, ma'am, you give me five minutes of best thing you got to give me the best hope because I got five minutes before I kill over dead. And she gave me not one drop of hope. And I said, it's my turn. And I began to walk her through the blue book. And I began to tell her that God made us to have friendship with Himself. But man was disobedient to God and so he disobeyed God and he ate from the fruit which they told him he couldn't. And I began to tell her how God in His great love, you want to call Him Jehovah, I'm okay with it, but I can call Him Elohim, Yahweh. But He made the initiative to reestablish that relationship with man. And you know what? About three quarters of the way she cut me off. She said, you know, I really got to go. I got somebody in the car waiting. I said, the typical cult. You present truth and they want nothing to do with it. I took her to Revelation chapter 1. And I began to show her. And let me tell you, she had her New World Translation. And I had my iPhone and the ESV. And we were rocking. And there in Revelation chapter 1, I began to see... It says the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. Well, in her Bible it says Jehovah God. And I said, that's God talking, right? She said, yeah, but God and Jesus aren't the same, they're different. I said, oh really? Well, let's look on down at verse 18, where it says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, and I have died. But I was victorious, and I hold the keys to death and hell. And I said, if that's God in verse 8, then you're telling me Jehovah God died? No. You see, they're going to come in our doors, and they're going to rock our people, and they're going to try to persuade you. As she told me, I'm going to visit Miss Lucille Johnson in the hospital. And so I began to pray for her that she would be bold in her faith. 
she's been attacked by a cult teaching something that would lead them to hell. You listen, Christ is our security. It's not a works-based salvation. It's the gospel that saves our faith in Jesus Christ. Then he says, Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This gives me hope. Because listen, while Jesus was here on this earth, He was 100% man, He was 100% God, and He couldn't be everywhere at once. That's why in John chapter 14 He says, Listen, it's better that I go to the Father, because when I go to the Father, I will send you a helper, and He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. There's hope. There's hope. Because I've been crucified with Christ and no longer preached, but it's Christ who preaches in me. You see, when Christ is in us, He lives in us. He lives through us and our actions dictate what's happening on the inside. Satan's biggest tool is to fool those who think they're believers to being something they're not. This morning, evaluate where you are with the Lord. Jesus Christ, when we are saved, comes into our lives in, in the form of the Holy Spirit. And He is our God, He's our director, and He's the same God that woke me up at 4.30 this morning to pray for the hearts of the people here this morning. And as I watched the sun come up, and I prayed for many things within our church, I prayed that God would open the hearts of the people here, that they would hear the gospel, that they would repent of their sins and they would turn to God so that they might be forgiven. And this morning, I don't know your heart, it's not my job to be a fruit inspector, but the Bible says you will know them by their fruits. And so this morning I ask, what kind of fruits do you produce? Because a good tree does not produce bad fruit. A bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. By way of application, listen, we must know and understand that Jesus Christ died for sins once for all. It is finished. There's nothing you or I need to do to be right with God except believe and trust in Him and do that on a daily basis. Work out your salvation by fear and trembling. Not for salvation, but to remain joyful in the Lord and being useful for the kingdom's work. Stop trying to avoid sufferings. Be bold and share your faith. The work is done and you are sealed. Now stand up for Jesus Christ because it's only suffering while we're here, not when we see Christ face to face. We need to understand that Jesus was our substitution. That illustration of Barabbas rings so true in my head, I remember it years later. Because I'm a criminal before God. I've broken the laws of the commandment. And a just God must justly judge. And so we need to understand that He was our substitution. He took your place. He took my place. That you will not have to endure the wrath of God if you would believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, you shall be saved. Will you do that today and place your faith in Jesus Christ? It's by grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve through faith that you've been saved. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. We hope for a returning Christ and through that lens we live, we suffer 